The legends are true. But overwhelming power! The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. Welcome to the Fantasy Throwdown Podcast. Bringing you the latest from the world of sports, DFS, and gambling. With over five years of hot takes and millions of downloads later, I guess he's been doing something right. Now, sit back and listen to one of the sharpest minds in the game. Here's your host, Dwayne Callender. All right, welcome to the show, everybody. We've got a busy schedule of NFL games to talk about. I know folks want to talk about uh, baseball as well. Frankly, you know, the folks who have already talked to me yesterday about the Yankees already knew what my thoughts were. I'll encapsulate it because I think some of you weren't reading between the lines of what I said about being shocked that the Yankees lost game three. I was the least surprised person about how Game 3 went for the Yankees. I was trying to be as direct as I could about it. Because the truth of the matter is, is that once you start reaching for excuses like that, you're pretty much cooked from a mental standpoint. The Yankees had no fight because, frankly, they had already checked out of this series. So, to me, them losing with Cole on the mound was not even remotely a surprise that Cole got no run support, but and we knew Cole does give up cheap, uh, uh, cheap home runs, uh, and you know Bregman got a hold of him early. Like that's what Cole has done throughout the year. So none of this should have been a surprise to folks. I don't know why, but uh, you know I, I, I guess casual fans just don't want to hear it. And it's like the Yankees are not the better team. <laughs> They're just not the better team. I try to be clear about it, and it's a and it's an organizational failure, not just the, not just the players. It's an organizational failure, and until they start making some adjustments, and that requires moving on from Brian Cashman, it requires moving on from some of the front office folks, and they don't want to do it because that would require Hal Steinbrenner to put in the work of actually overhauling the Yankees uh, organization. And he doesn't want to do it. So, you know, we can keep waxing poetic about what the Yankees need to do. And I could talk about it at length. I, I went into it more than a few times over the last uh, few years with the Yankees and how they need to actually overhaul the entire dynamic. But at the end of the day, it's just a matter of if they have the willpower to do it. And I am not sold on... Uh, that actually happening anytime soon. So to be perfectly honest, this is, uh, you know, uh, almost uh, almost a case of, I don't want to say shadow for it, because I take no pleasure in seeing the Yankees fail. But what I do take exception to is the, is the arrogance at which the Yankees brass operates thinking that that's going to be good enough because it's it's simply not. And it's 
been the case for well over a decade and a half. It's like, if you're being honest, like, it's really, like, we're talking to two full decades because this philosophy was more implemented after the Yankees lost the World Series to the Diamondbacks and how they wanted to build out their roster in 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 uh in lieu of that loss, which was a fluke loss, but you know, Brian Cashman got the full keys to the reins as to overhauling the team and made it progressively worse. But you know, we can talk about the history of how the Yankees ended up in this spot, but until they acknowledge that the step the steps that were taken were mistakes in the end, it's not going to change much. So without much further ado. We're going to get into baseball at another point because we have uh, the Phillies and Padres uh, playing later today. My quick thoughts on that one is we're going to get rain in Philly. I have no idea when it's going to hit. Uh, like The weather reports say it could be anywhere from the fourth inning through uh, the end of the game intermittently. So h- how do we gauge who's going to have an advantage there? You know, <laughs> I mean, you Darvish... It is always one of those wild card pitchers that I, you can get good you or you can get bad you, and you have no idea which guy is going to show up. The Padres, uh, to be honest, uh, they've played tight this series because of the fact that w- against the Dodgers, everyone expected them to lose. They played with house money. They are expected to beat the Phillies. They are playing tight, and that's just the truth of the matter. <laughs> it's like. I don't know what else to say about it. It's like you know, you the the Phillies are the ones playing uh, feel, uh, feel playing free and easy. The Padres are f- absolutely tight. It's three one. We'll see if the Phillies get a little bit tight because they can get to close it out at home versus having to go on the road to close it out. We'll see how it goes. But uh, the weather, I think, is going to play a factor here. So, but I have no idea who's going to benefit or not because it, <laughs> we don't know when it's going to start to rain. Um, both bullpens are rested, but it's like who, whomever gets to have to deal with the rain first, if they don't call a delay, I think it's going to be adversely impacted, but I have no idea how that's good. I'm not a weatherman. So I can't, I can't tell you what exactly when, and no, no weatherman could actually tell you specifically when it's going to rain either. So, um, it is what it is. All right, let's get right down to it. NFL and I, I I mean, I got to laugh at these matchups because, you know, we had Thursday Night Football. It's week seven. I mean, I went into my rant about Andy Dalton. But, like, the truth of the matter is the NFC is a train wreck. It's an absolute train wreck because I don't actually know who's a good team in the NFC. And do and I know Giants fans are going to get mad at me. We're 5-1. and one, We're 5-1. I know the Giants are 5-1. and one. The Giants are not a good football team. The Giants play hard. They are well coached. They are not actually a good football team because the Giants are legitimately limited at multiple positions. They have no receivers. They have major question marks at quarterback in terms of actually throwing down the field and precision passing with Daniel Jones. They have major questions. They cannot execute parts of the playbook because of their limitations. They coach around it and they play around it. And they play hard. That's what you can say about the Giants. But you can't say that they're a good team because there are ways of beating the Giants if you actually execute a well-thought-out game plan. 
with their limitations. And there's no way the Giants are going to get around it. But anyway, I, you know what? Screw it. I'll, I'll just start off with the Giants. <laughs> like, it, like they weren't even the first team on the score sheet, but I'm going to start off with the Giants. Giants traveling to Jacksonville to play the Jaguars. Uh, the Jags, two and a half point favorites. Um, somehow the Jags are two and a half point favorites. And I am very, you know, this is going to be the most bet game of the week, in my opinion, because you're going to have the New York market seeing that the Giants are underdogs betting this game. You're going to have Vegas kind of looking at all the money coming in on the Giants and making adjustments. But in terms of total bets, I expect this to be the most popular game bet this weekend. Because outside, even with uh, outside of Giants fans, I think casual folks are going to look at the Giants being underdogs to the Jags, who suck, and they literally gave up over 300 yards passing to Wash Bryan of the Indianapolis Colts. I'm not calling him by his name anymore. I'm just calling him Wash Bryan because he is washed. It, like no, <laughs> like we're gonna we're gonna get to that Titans game later. But um, I'm just calling them washed, Brian, at this point. Uh, Jacksonville literally played a prevent defense against the Colts the entire second half. I don't understand why. I like I I watched that game frame by frame and like just trying to understand why on earth the the Jags ran the defense that they did because it makes absolutely zero sense. And if they run that against the Giants, as much as I question J- Daniel Jones. And the fact that the Giants have no wide receivers of note, the Giants are, should be able to throw the ball for a decent clip. I'm not saying Dan Jones is going to throw for 300 yards because, frankly, I, I don't even think the Giants coaching staff would even want Daniel Jones throwing for 300 yards. I think he can hit 200 yards passing because of the way the Jags defense was playing washed Brian last week. But uh, that's about it. I, I don't think... Uh, there's going to be uh, much else uh, to this game other than Saquon's going to get the ball. They're going to let uh, they're gonna let uh, him run it, and they're going to let him run it some more. They're going to play field position. They're going to punt. They're going to punt some more. They're going to have the defense uh, uh, force, uh, force some uh, uh, punts from <laughs> the, the Jag side, and eventually... They will figure out a way of uh, scoring enough points to beat the Jags. Because, you know, the the thing of it is, is that the Giants literally look so... Uh, the, the Giants look so rudimentary on offense. And they are. Basically, it's Saquon running the ball and Daniel Jones scrambling for his life and... Because teams haven't been keeping a spy on him, he's been able to run successfully for yardage. So, to be honest, Daniel Jones is being effective running with the football. When he plays a team like the Cowboys that know exactly what they're going to do, he doesn't. He is not nearly as effective because they have a spy there to shut him down. I think Daniel Jones, the rushing prop on him is way too low. Uh, his rushing prop, if you look at... Uh, and it and I had it I had it up earlier. Oh, hold on. Where was he? This is what happens when you you don't write it down. Yes, his rushing prop was 34 yards today. Uh 
is 34 yards today, I should say. Um, I mean, maybe it changes. I, I, I and I, I, I don't even know uh, if anyone has a lower problem. I'm just seeing it consistently at like at DraftKings and FanDuel. Um, I haven't checked all the uh, spots yet, but you know, uh, I think Jones is going to easily smash that. The weird part about this game, and I don't like, and I'm hearing rumors about it, and no one quite knows what's going on. I'm hearing a lot of talk in the industry from the DFS standpoint of this is the week to play Travis Etienne. He's five thousand. He's going to get the run for the Jags, and, and I haven't heard anything from. The Jags uh, staff. I mean, J- uh, Travis Etienne, who don't, for those of you who don't remember, uh, big college star at Clemson, but he is the second best running back on his team. James Robinson is a better running back than Travis Etienne. It, it's not close, in my opinion. The fact when they Jags feature Travis Etienne, they progressively get worse because they have to do so much to make Etienne look good in terms of. Like, not disguising their plays, but, like, focusing on getting him in a spot to actually be successful, that it it, it implodes their offense and, and brings it down to a slog. So, the rushing props today uh, is uh, 44.5 for James Robinson and 51.5 for Travis Etienne. I don't understand the Etienne play that folks are touting him as this rock solid guy for DFS purposes. Like, I, I don't get it. I, I, his his rushing prop is 51. 52 on DraftKings, even. Like, it's 51 and a half on FanDuel, 52 and a half on DraftKings. I don't get it. James Robinson is still there. Uh, unless, like, unless someone knows something about uh, James Robinson maybe getting traded. Uh, I mean, we got a bunch of teams. We got, we got news coming out from Casey that uh, uh, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire might be getting benched for Isaiah Pacheco, uh, you've got the weird situation with the Broncos, like benching Melvin Gordon. Like, there's a bunch of running backs uh, that could actually help playoff teams that w- could be available in the trade market. I, I, I don't know. But to me, the only reason why this line even makes sense at two and a half is if the Jags are featuring James Robinson. If the Jags are featuring Travis Etienne, which... The betting props are saying that ETN is going to get more splits. This is an easy, and I and I and I don't mean to say easy win, but I mean it's an easy bet for the Giants because here's the thing: as like basically rudimentary as the Giants' offense is, the Jags are not good with Travis ETN. Like he, like unless he is housing a ball. And again, you don't get that in the NFL. Like Saquon, in his rookie year, you saw immediately where his speed and, and explosiveness was just not. I don't see that with ETN. I see the talent, but I don't see Saquon level explosiveness out of Travis ETN. I I, I don't get it. I, I don't get it. So the folks who are saying that this is ETN season and he's gonna explode, like if if they if. If the Jags want to give ETN 20 touches, yeah. Could he hit 100 yards? Maybe. But the Giants are going to win the game. I I, I feel very confident in that. And I know folks are going to take umbrage with me still not saying that the Giants are a good team. They're not a good team. 
They they really are not a good team. They're a byproduct of many bad teams playing. But they play hard. And yes, you can argue that a good team is a team that is smart. So if you want to say that the Giants are a good team because they play smarter than the other team, you can give them that. You can give them that they're smarter than the idiots that they play against. Because there's a lot of dumb plays being made in the NFL right now that, like, just tilt me to no end. Tilt me to no end. And we're going to talk about the uh, the, the, the Chargers are going to play today, and I feel like the Chargers are going to find a way to lose to the Seahawks, but we're, we're going to get to that game later. But, uh, yeah, I, I think that the Giants are the most popular bet of the uh, – uh, might be the most popular bet of the year NFL season thus far in terms of total bets being made by the public because the line of showing the uh, the Giants as an underdog I don't see it I, I the Jags are too are too poorly coached and make too many bad uh, uh, bad plays uh, with uh, 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 just a, I mean uh, that that Trevor Lawrence makes that I do not I cannot trust. I cannot trust uh, anything uh, go- going on. I, I don't know. It- it- it's just uh, it- it's just kind of uh, absurd, to be honest. Moving on, we got Baltimore hosting the Browns. Uh, Baltimore six and a half point favorites. I I, I kind of always look at this, and it's one of those. Uh, types of games where I I know the Ravens are going to be in the mix, but the way, and, and again, I get very cautious about Baltimore in terms of how they play because it feels as though every game Lamar Jackson has to be not only the best player on the field, but also push the envelope to the extent where they are just dominating the other team. Otherwise, it just turns into this helter-skelter, nail-biter of a game. And that's not a healthy way of playing every single game in an NFL season. You're going to burn out. And so I get nervous about the Ravens because it feels as though that's how this season is going to be. Uh, Nick Chubb is still there on the Browns. The Browns have been solid enough with Jacoby Brissett. Shockingly, and I don't know why. Maybe, maybe, like, whatever was going down with the, the Dolphins last year and that offense, it was just a train wreck because Brissett actually looks much more comfortable under center in Cleveland and throwing the ball around. He looks closer to the form he was in before he got benched in favor of uh, Phillip Rivers. But that was going back three-plus years. So, you know, a lot of times passed, but Brissett's been solid enough. Not great, but solid enough. And because he's solid enough, this is exactly what the Browns needed out of Baker Mayfield, which is what makes him dangerous. Uh, do I think the Browns beat the Ravens? No, but that six and a half point total scares me. I, cause my initial gut was the Ravens cover this, 
But the more I kept thinking about it this week, the more I kept feeling as though the Browns have that backdoor cover potential late in the game, and it's going to screw me. Uh, that's where I just kind of look at this and say, take a pass on this one. Uh, I don't want to be betting this game because I just feel as though Cleveland will keep it close enough. I don't see Mark Andrews having a breakout game. Uh, you know, I think the Ravens keep it on the ground. Uh, we've got J.K. Dobbins out with another knee injury. He's going to be gone a couple of weeks. Uh, I mean, the backfield is Kenyon Drake. They elevated Gus Edwards. So uh, Edwards has been out uh, this season. Um, so it will be some type of split between Kenyon Drake and Gus Edwards. Your guess is as good as mine. Who gets the run there? Um, if I would say Gus Edwards probably should get some burn because we know Kenyon Drake is basically done. I don't know how Gus is looking now that he's uh, gotten nicked up a bit and has uh, uh, undergone surgery and is coming back. So who knows if he has uh, enough of a burst to kind of uh, be competitive, but, um, yeah, I just don't like this game. I think this, uh, the total of the game, uh, is a bit high. I don't like the 46 and a half. I, you know, it's just one of those things. I, I don't think this scores 46. This feels like a, like a 23, 17 type game. Um, I think it, I think it's tight. I, I, I think it's tight. About whether or not the Ravens cover this, um, you know, I don't like it. I, I, I just feel like the more I kept looking at the game this week, the more I felt like this is a walk away uh, type game. So I, I'm not betting it. Uh, next up, Dallas hosting Detroit and the return of Dak Prescott. Here's the deal. Dak has been hearing all the hype about Cooper Rush, who sucks, um, from all the pundits uh, like Skip Bayless and all these other folks who keep saying the offense runs better through Cooper Rush. Cooper Rush sucks. All right, let's just be honest. The Cooper Rush sucks. What improved with Dallas is the play calling because they play called around the limitations of Cooper Rush. And what the Dallas play calling does sometimes is they, they sometimes... And actually, I should say sometimes, more often than not, when Dak is there, they go too cute in terms of just saying, we're going to stretch the field. Instead of running the rock behind that offensive line and having more balance to the offense, that's what tends to happen at times uh, with uh, uh, with the Dallas offense. So that was the biggest bugaboo. Um, you know, to me, they're up against... One of the league's worst defenses in Detroit. Uh, you know, they were subject of uh, hard knocks. But, you know, the truth of the matter is they are just not a good defensive unit. Aaron Glenn's been catching a ton of heat as uh, Detroit's defensive coordinator. But, you know, you're not getting the top-level talent. And so I just look at this and say that... Uh, I think Dallas scores early and often. I think Dak needs a good performance to showcase himself. So I think he's going to be a little bit uh, more aggressive on the approach, not 
uh, not necessarily uh, a case where I'm concerned about playing Dak Prescott because as long as they're keeping him upright, he's going to have options to throw to to get the ball out of his hands quickly. Uh, But my whole deal is CeeDee Lamb, the Cowboys have been leaning on him heavily the last couple of weeks. I think more gets taken into account because we don't know how exactly the dynamic is going to work in Detroit with, you know, I'm on Ross St. Brown's coming back, but I still don't know if Jared Goff even knows, like, the best way of running an offense because it always feels a little bit haphazard. And, you know, based off of uh, the assignments, I, I think it's, uh, it's a case where Jared Goff could easily, easily run this game down for uh, the Lions. It, it, and it could turn into one of those games where, uh, you know, as we saw with uh, Andy Dalton Thursday night, where he just line drives a couple of picks that have no business being thrown. And that's the difference between uh, winning or losing the game. It's like, it's just that simple. I think the Cowboys defense uh, uh, overwhelms golf, and I think he makes some mistakes. But in the interim, I would say that, uh, uh, you know, it'd be... It'd be interesting if Dallas lost uh, as a, uh, as an active and interested viewer of the current standings of the NFCs. It'd be interesting if Dallas lost, uh, uh, lost time on this, but, uh, you know, we shall see. But, uh, I, I just, I just think that this is, uh, you know, a logical spot, uh, to be targeting Dallas. Uh, I mean, that coming back, uh, you know, he's going to want to flex on, uh, the next couple of teams, and, uh, you know, he's in a prime spot to do so. Next up, Cincinnati hosting Atlanta. Man, the Falcons have covered every single game this year. It's a six-and-a-half-point spread. This is one of those where, you know, folks are not betting Atlanta. They're going to be on the Bengals' side, and... You know, looking at various high-risk uh, offenses, I, I got to say that, you know, Cincinnati has struggled a bit this year with teams playing more base defense. Now, against Atlanta, they may actually get what they're looking for with a... Uh, uh, Jamar Chase and, and T. Higgins because uh, the Bengals function off of blitz-heavy teams and allowing the receivers to go one-on-one to win a matchup. That's what they've been best at. It's the general route formations that haven't been the cleanest, and that's where I just kind of look at this and say, this is a jam Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase spot. I, I think... Uh, the Bengals passing attack is the way to go here. And the experience that you're going to see with the Bengals having the run that they did last year and putting away a team that they know they should be beating, I think that's where they're going to start uh, getting a little bit more acclimated and focus on what they need to do 
to get back into the postseason because they've squandered a couple of games. They squandered that Dallas game. Uh, being three and three, they do not want to go below five hundred. So they're going to put in the work and get it done. So I, I expect the Bengals to kind of be in a good spot here. Um, as far as covering six and a half is a bid uh, is a big uh, a bigger number than I'd like, but I certainly understand it and. I think just because of knowing the audience, it makes sense to uh, not. You can you can sprinkle a little bit on the money line for Atlanta to pull off an upset. I'm going to go crazy about it, though. Um, you know, at the end of the day, I think uh, it's a case where they could. Uh, they could surprise, but I, I think the Bengals roll here. They're just truth be told, uh, the pathways for Atlanta to win are keeping it low scoring, and I think the Bengals are going to be able to score a good amount of points on Atlanta today. Next on the docket, Green Bay traveling to Washington to play the Commanders. Taylor Heineke under center for Carson Wentz. Somehow, I actually think the Washington's offense is going to be played better without Carson Wentz. So just... Oh, man, it's been a disaster. Um, Heineke, yeah, limited in terms of what he can do passing-wise, but he can stretch the field. He's he's going to make some bad decisions, uh, which is what makes him a volatile cocktail in this otherwise bland mixture of a game. Um, I think Green Bay gets back to basics. They strip down the offense. Washington's pass rush without Chase Young, who's still out injured, has not been there. If the Packers can't block this Washington team, the Packers have real problems. Because they got Buffalo next week, who's coming off the bye. They're off this week. Uh, you know, they got uh, they got to travel to Buffalo. They need to get this game over and done with uh, before they get Sunday Night Football next week. So, my whole thing is... Green Bay is going to keep it basic. Aaron's not going to air it out too much. And I should say Aaron Rodgers, just for the uninitiated, Aaron's not going to air it out too much because they really need to get this game over and done with. I don't think they go too crazy with the passing attack. I think this is just a Aaron Jones, A.J. Dillon, run the ball, do some screen passes, just let the running backs get the job done and call it a day situation. I don't really see Washington putting up much of a fight, but if for some reason that uh, they are able to, you know, find a way to get this game close, this is the troubling sign from Green Bay because that defense, when and much like Baltimore, when they get tied up in tight games. They play so much worse. Like, they do not handle high-pressure situations well at all, uh, which is actually so. I, you know, I could actually say this about the Giants' defense. In high-pressure situations, the Giants' defense functions very well. So I'll, I'll give the Giants credit in that regard when I say they're not a good team. Like, they are v- very good in that regard. In high-pressure situations, they do not... Uh, implode the way I've seen other teams implode in high pressure situations. They execute. So that's a, I guess that is a benefit for the giants, but uh, green Bay's defense in high pressure situations. Not good. They do. They still do not 
manage play action passes at all. Uh, like, I don't understand how you could be so bad defending play action passes, but here we are. Green Bay is incapable of de- defending play action passes, it seems. But, um, yeah, I, I don't even think it, it gets that close because Green Bay legitimately needs to put this game away as soon as possible because of the looming threat from the Buffalo Bills coming up. I, I think this is just a bad situation for Green Bay, uh, truth be told, in terms of uh, matchups when they when it comes to Buffalo. So they need to get on track quickly, and I think they, they establish the run and try to give Buffalo something to think about for next week. Hopefully they're not looking ahead to Buffalo, but realistically, Green, Green Bay needs all the wins they can get because Minnesota is 5-1, and one, uh, and off this week, uh, Green Bay needs to uh, gain some ground, get back on track, you know, get above 500 again. So they cannot they they cannot afford to mess around with this game. I, I think they go for the jugular early and just stay on it with uh, the run game. Next up, and I talked about this, Tennessee Titans hosting the Indianapolis Colts. Titans, two and a half point favorites. I'm hammering the Titans. I'm hammering the Titans because I told you, I do not trust Washed Ryan. Uh, Jonathan Taylor's back, so everyone is kind of looking at it and saying, oh, well, Jonathan Taylor's back. The Colts should be better. I don't care. Matt, I mean, Washed Ryan is done. Uh, You know, the Jags ran a terrible defense. I think if you play him straight up again, he is going to screw this uh, Colts team over royally again. Unlike anyone from this game, to be perfectly honest, uh, even Derrick Henry doesn't have the best track record against the Colts. They usually play him pretty tough. I just don't want exposure to this game. So I'm going to try to fade it. Hopefully we don't get any pop-off games where uh, Washed Ryan just is trailing so far behind. He just dumps off passes to Michael Pittman and they just rack up cheap points that way. But I just... I don't see anyone really going crazy in this game here, to be perfectly honest. The only thing I want to play is the Titans defense because I think Ryan is just due to implode and just give it up all over again. I Again, I, I'm adamantly clear that the Colts are screwed this year because somehow they traded Carson Wentz and got worse. It's, it, it's incredible how... how how that how that trade actually made them worse. I can't I can't believe as bad as Carson Wentz was last year, they actually are worse this year because of Wash Ryan. It's it's crazy. Absolutely crazy. Uh finally we have our last game of the early window. We've got Tampa Bay going to Carolina. I mean, Carolina's in full tank mode. So, uh, Christian McCaffrey, if you didn't know somehow or weren't following from the episode I already recorded, has been traded to the San Francisco 49ers. Uh, we've got a three running back uh, backfield for Carolina between Dante Foreman, Chubba Hubbard, and, oh God, who's the third guy? Oh, there was another guy, and I'm blanking on his name. Anyway... Uh, don't want any exposure to these guys. 
until we figure out who's going to be the lead back there. I stashed Dante Foreman in some fantasy leagues just because I think it'll probably be Foreman, but, man, I really don't know. Uh, But, yeah, I got no interest in this game other than Leonard Fournette. I know Brady wants to throw the ball a bit to get a little bit rhythm with the offense, but this just feels like a Leonard Fournette running it down their throats. Tampa, uh, they're not run block. I mean, they're not pass blocking well, so usually run blocking, uh, it's at least engages them a little bit more in the action. So I just think Leonard Fournette gets uh, the carries. Normally they don't like giving him 20-plus carries, but... I think they could just pound the rock on Carolina, and by the time they get up ahead, they'll be able to switch over to Rashad White uh, later on in the second half and just kite the rest of this game out. Um, The only question is, do they cover 10.5? It's a big enough number, but, you know, Carolina's offense is not scoring that much. So I I think as long as... uh, Tampa gets the 21 points. I don't necessarily see Carolina getting to 14 on their own, you know, unless there's like a random pick six or like just a turnover um, with a short uh, short field to work with. Uh, but no interest in this game whatsoever. So, uh, you know what? I'm going to take a quick break here, folks. So I'll be right back with the afternoon games, but uh, we're going to have the sponsors uh Fill in, and we'll go from there. Don't go anywhere. The Fantasy Throwdown Podcast will be right back after our sponsors pay the bills. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome back to the show. Hope you got your popcorn ready. All right, so getting into the afternoon window, we have the Jets traveling to Mile High 
No Russell Wilson for the Broncos. He's out with a hamstring injury that, uh, you know, the folks will tell you that uh, Nathaniel Hackett's looking out for Russ's safety. I'm looking at it from the standpoint of, man, the Broncos offense has been so bad that they are desperate enough to try anything, including switching out uh, Russell Wilson just to see if maybe it's Russ's fault this offense sucks so much. Uh, I can freely tell you that Nathaniel Hackett's the reason why this offense sucks so much. But, um, you know, it's uh, it's pretty clear that, you know, we got... Uh, uh, we, we've got, we've got plenty of problems, um, when it comes to the Broncos. This is, whew, man, it is still early in the morning for me, but, um, the Broncos, I mean, Brett Rippon is not remotely close to a top level prospect. Like this offense is not going to move the ball. Um, is it Latavius Murray running the ball? Is it going to be Melvin Gordon? Is it going to be Mike Boone? Um, I would say it should be Latavius Murray based off of how uh, he was running uh, running and, and look last week. But, you know, the Broncos are just trying to figure out who the hell can actually do the job on this team. So there's a real chance that Latavius uh, Murray doesn't get the lead back role and it goes back to Melvin Gordon again because Melvin Gordon complained so much, but I don't think anything really materializes here because, um, the Jets D line is pretty solid. Uh, on the flip side, I do like Brees Hall versus the Broncos uh, defensive line. I think the Jets can actually run with Brees Hall. He has the explosiveness, um, the only problem with Brees Hall is that, you know, Michael Carter is going to steal some carries from him, which limits his upside. But in terms of this game, I'm just avoiding it completely outside of Brees Hall and the Jets defense. I don't think anyone else scores in this game. Uh, like this could be just a field goal battle between uh, uh, Brandon McManus and whoever the hell the Jets kicker is. I, I don't even remember who the Jets kicker is. Is it Cairo Santos? Man, I don't even remember who, like, the. I, I legitimately don't remember who the Jets kicker is. Is it Zerline? Maybe it's Zerline. It was like, uh, it was like I was thinking Cairo Santos, but I was like, maybe I'm thinking of a prior year with the uh, uh, Cairo Santos as the Jets kicker. I, I, maybe it is Zerline. Yeah, oh yeah, it is Zerline. All right, but, you know. I mean, I just see a lot of field goals in this game. I don't see a ton of, like, actual touchdowns being scored. Like, the, the problem with these teams is that the Broncos can't throw the ball. It's not going to get better with Russ being out. It's going to get worse. I don't I don't really see much of this. Like, I think the Broncos' defense... Uh, with Patrick Sertan, uh, like, locks down pretty much what the Jets are going to try to do passing-wise. So, uh, Elijah Moore, you know, <laughs> he, I mean, he, he 
he basically uh, got himself benched today. Um, I mean, they, like he demanded a trade. I mean, it's wild. Only the Jets could have uh, a winning record at four and two and have a player demand a trade. It, it's it's absolutely wild. But um, yeah, like the Jets like uh, deactivated Elijah Moore for this game. They activated Denzel Mims. I guarantee you Denzel Mims like only gets like uh maybe maybe he gets targeted once in this game. Maybe twice. But they, like they do not get anything going on there. Um it's uh it'll, it'll be uh it'll be kind of comical in my opinion that it uh, that they do anything with uh uh on offense here. I think it's just pretty much a case of the Jets defense locks down Denver. You get some Brees Hall. Maybe he gets in the end zone. Not a tremendous score from Brees Hall, but I think well enough. And we go from there. But not, nothing from this game interested me in the slightest. Um, but, I mean, I think the Jets are a free square. Um, pretty much the line didn't move with Russ being gone. But... I'm still playing the Jets. Um, you know, the line moved to the Jets um, being favored by two. It was Broncos minus two and a half. It moved to the Jets being minus two or uh, minus two and a half. But either way, uh, the Jets definitely went by more than a field goal here, even at mile high. Like, the Broncos are just a complete dumpster fire right now. Um, next up. Raiders hosting the Texans. Raiders desperately need to win here. Uh, like, no ifs, ands, or buts. They're one and four. If they don't get it done, season's over. Season's probably over already, but Raiders got to get it done. Uh, shockingly, this offense has not gone through Devontae Adams and the passing attack. Part, uh, part of it is due to Derek Carr just struggling so mightily that Basically, uh, Josh Jacobs has had to carry the team on his on his shoulders in a sense, um, running the ball. I think Jacobs is, you know, having a breakout year in his contract year. Surprise, surprise. Um, well, technically, it is a surprise because even his contract year, I don't think anyone actually thought Jacobs would be even close to putting up half the numbers he has already this year. Um, but. I mean, you can run on the Texans. They're not a good run defense. They're one of the worst in the league. Uh, Jacobs is going to be super popular on DFS sites, but I I have no qualms playing um, Jacobs on DraftKings and FanDuel. I think it just makes a ton of sense. I think he could get two touchdowns, to be honest, um, just because of the matchup alone and 100 yards. Just, it, it's just... It lends itself to why risk turning the ball over with Derek Carr when you know you can just run it down this Texans team throw. We shall see uh, uh, how it works out, but Davis Mills doesn't scare me in the slightest. Damian Pierce does scare me. Um, I think the Raiders try to play it safe. Don't turn the ball over. Keep it on the ground. Live with Pierce ripping off a couple of decent runs against them in return, but not 
necessarily breaking the game open because Davis Mills is a backup QB at best. It's just uh, a pretty straightforward matchup for the Raiders, in my opinion. I think they cover here, and, you know, you have a nice day from Josh Jacobs. I, I think, you know, their pass rush should be enough to disrupt Davis Mills. Pierce is going to get his numbers, but I, I don't think there's a way. Um, <clears throat> I don't think there's a way that uh, um, the Texans fi- uh, find a way to upset the Raiders, unless the Raiders shoot themselves in the foot with turnovers and penalties. Next up, my favorite whipping post, Brandon Staley, coaching his Chargers against the visiting Seattle Seahawks. I honestly think. Point blank, the Seahawks are winning this game. Uh, like, the Chargers are six and a half point favorites. I think the Seahawks win this game. And I'll tell you why. I know, folks, you know, you've heard me rail against the Chargers and their use of analytics and how I think they don't actually know what they're doing with the, with the data that they're trying to interpret. But straight up, Seattle plays a very straightforward style. They're going to run the ball. They're going to play action. They're going to throw deep balls to DK Metcalf uh, and Tyler Lockett. And Gino has been running the offense efficiently with Russ gone. Because what we've seen is that Gino getting the ball out quickly with that O-line, it's good enough compared to what was happening with Russ holding on to the ball a bit too long trying to create a big play every single time they're snapping the ball. Geno's just taking the short dump-offs, and if they got a punt, they got a punt, and they move on. But they've been able to run the ball effectively. Kenneth Walker has subbed in for Rashad Penny, and no one's really missed Rashad Penny. Uh, You know, it's been pretty seamless. I look at this Chargers team, I don't know what the hell their identity is, because they're not really efficient throwing the ball mid-range. Keenan Allen's been hurt, certainly, but sometimes they run it with Austin Eckler. Other times they don't run it with Austin Eckler. You know, it's helter-skelter as to which week what the game plan's actually going to be. And that's what makes it so hard to pick the Chargers for any DFS purposes because I don't know who's going to be the guy week to week. They have more than enough options offensively to be effective across the board, but it's just puzzling to say the least when you have a team like the Chargers so incompetently managed that they throw away so many great opportunities and that's how they lose games. And that that's that's what it feels like Every single time I watch the Chargers play, they lose games they have no business losing. And I don't think it changes at all with uh, uh, with uh, today's matchup. Yes, they should indeed beat the Seahawks at home. They should. I don't think it happens, though. I, I think Seattle just gets it done, and everyone's going to be talking about how did the Chargers lose this game? I, I I am very doubtful of the Chargers making the playoffs this year. Finally, we have the marquee matchup of the day. 
We've got the Chiefs hosting the new look. I mean, uh, actually, now it's not at our head. The Chiefs traveling to San Fran to face the new look San Francisco 49ers and their latest toy, Christian McCaffrey. Honestly, I think the 49ers win this one straight up. The only way I see the 49ers losing this game is if Jimmy G screws it up. Because if this was the Trey Lance offense running with Christian McCaffrey, this is, uh, I think, one of the most deadliest offenses in the league. Now, with Jimmy G kind of using play action, I think they're going to be very basic in terms of the setup and whatnot that I don't think there is very much in the way of... So, like, the more I keep looking at this matchup, I just think as long as Jimmy doesn't turn the ball over, they run the ball, Christian McCaffrey, he's going to get touches, he's been looking at the playbook all week long, he's not going to know all the uh, sets, obviously, but he'll know enough to be effective and and be able to... uh, be put out in space and enough of a decoy that Kansas City is kind of going to be on their toes and that should open up more than enough room for Debo and George Kittle to be able to operate with space and not nearly the attention that they would normally have. To me, I think San Fran should be able to move the ball pretty easily on the Chiefs defense, in my opinion. And on offense, the Chiefs have looked a little bit better. I know San Fran has a bunch of injuries and we don't have Nick Bosa, but I kind of look at, uh, I kind of look at this from the standpoint of, I think San Fran controls the clock enough. Keeps, uh, keeps, uh, Patrick Mahomes off the field. The chiefs are going to be a little bit constrained in terms of trying to run, run the offense, uh, quickly to kind of get it done. I, I just, I just think that this is a great opportunity for San Fran to actually execute on offense the way uh, Kyle Shanahan has always wanted it to be through a dominant running game, which they've had, but not nearly to the same extent as when uh, Raheem Mostert was on the roster. So they haven't quite gotten that mix They've been trying to replace it, and they they got a supreme upgrade in McCaffrey. I, I'm sorry, I just I just think this is a, a, a genius stroke for the 49ers. I think uh, you know it's it's a great matchup. You know we'll see we'll see how it, it goes. The Chiefs could win this one. I mean I'm not gonna uh, ever count out the Chiefs of uh, pulling off something, uh, pulling off an upset. I mean. And it's not even an upset because the Chiefs are favored. I just think that San Fran should be favored in this matchup. I think McCaffrey is enough of a X factor to shift this back into uh, San Fran being favored or this just being a flat out pick 'em. Um, so, in my estimation, this uh, this uh, lines up very well for San Fran. Um, it's one of my favorite plays of the day. I'm gonna be on. A lot of this late window, I mean, between Seattle with uh, uh, DK Metcalf, San Fran, I'm probably going to be more 
in line with Debo. And then, you know, I talked about Josh Jacobs as well. That's probably going to be in my core, um, too. So, to me, from a DFS standpoint, it's going to be a lot of late window action. And then, obviously, with uh, the Cowboys game early, we've got Amon Ronse Brown um, on the Lions side and CeeDee Lamb. I think you could balance out a lot of these uh, plays and get a cheap QB like Gino to make it work from a salary standpoint and move forward from there. I mean, it feels pretty straightforward in my opinion. So we shall see how it goes. That wraps up the main slate. Um, Not going to do a showdown show tonight because I really don't have a great feel for this Miami-Pittsburgh game. Uh, Tua should be back. Kenny Pickett should be back for the Steelers. They're both out of concussion protocol. I don't really have a ton of confidence in either offense. Um, I have more confidence on Miami, but I don't have confidence in Tua's health. Um, That's what has me concerned. This is one where, realistically, I I am kind of gauging this more along the lines of Miami, get the ball out quickly to uh, Tyreek Hill and uh, uh, Waddle. You're going to run it most of Miami's offense, they like it, getting ball in space. I think it works well, quite well for them. The Steelers, we don't know what they're going to do because Najee Harris can't run behind that offensive line. Deontay Johnson has not looked right this season. Their best receiver has been George Pickens, who's a rookie. And, you know, they keep doing these gadget plays with Chase Claypool that aren't going anywhere, partly because that offensive line can't get it done. Um, To me, this is uh, very heavy in favor of Miami. They're seven-and-a-half-point favorites for a reason. I think they win by ten. We'll see how it goes, but I I think that defense picks off Kenny Pickett a couple of times. I think the offense uh, for Miami... Um, moves the ball on the Steelers' defense. I can't generate pressure without J.J. Watt. Uh, I mean, uh, di- oh. well, well he, he, uh, I'm saying J.J. Watt, but uh, I'm I'm Derek Watt. Um, but um, yeah, I, I just to me, it's just messy. It's gen- genuinely messy uh, for the Steelers uh, overall, and I, I think it just kind of goes from there. But um, yeah, it, it it just seems as though, uh, by and large, uh, this is so heavily in favor of Miami that I, I I just love the chances. And then Monday night is just an even bigger mess because we got New England favored. Even if Mac Jones doesn't play, New England's defense is going to shut down <laughs> like Justin Fields. Like the Bears have no idea what the hell they're doing on offense. I mean, I feel bad for Justin Fields, but Justin Fields also looks very um, lost at times. So partly it's the coaching staff. Part of it is Justin Fields. All of it is just the Bears just looking terrible in general. Nobody looks like uh, they are having a good time on the Bears' sideline on offense. I think New England just handles them and... It's a pretty much boring Monday Night Football slate as well. I, I'll have, I'll try to do something for a show 
tomorrow on that front. Maybe kick. Uh, uh, we go with a kicker build or something to get a little bit different, but I don't have a whole lot of ideas at the moment there. But uh, that's going to do it for me. Uh, we'll we'll try to come on a little bit later to talk a bit about the Yankees. I also want to talk about the UFC event because there's a lot a lot of questions I have to ask about that UFC event and the judging of of what we saw go down there too. So there's there, there's more questions I have uh, to raise about that. But uh, that's going to do it for me for now. Uh, enjoy the games, everyone, and until next time, have a good one. Thanks for listening to the Fantasy Throwdown Podcast. Be sure to like and subscribe to the show on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and all major outlets. BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then... Place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager. Only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C.